Father, thank you for the chance to be here and to understand what you want from us, to allow you through your word to teach us the things that you say are true, and that even though we can't see and interact with them with our senses, that when we do trust and depend upon them to be reality for us, that they actually make a difference in our lives. Help us to trust you to see you more tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ephesians 2.10. This is called the workmanship of God, and it's because last time we met was Elon Picks, and the time before that, we looked at a passage of scripture in Ephesians 2, verses 9, or 8 and 9. R2 is with us tonight. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And the whole point of that passage was to identify that God has made a way for you to have your sins paid for, and that's Jesus Christ. And if you depend upon him to pay the penalty for your sins, then he will save you from eternity in the lake of fire forever. Use my backup clicker. It's not working. Not yet. Just a second. Maybe. Thank you. All right, there we go. Oh, it's backwards. Okay. All right. So in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we talk about salvation. It's by grace, which means that God said he would take care of it. But it's through your faith. You have faith in what God did. Do you depend upon what he says, that you're a sinner, that his son paid the penalty for your sins? If you do, then you're saved from eternity in a lake of fire. You also are a new creature. You're the workmanship of God, and that's what verse 10 says. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The words in bold, we're going to take a look at a little more in depth. If you're new to us this summer, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. The Old Testament, Testament was originally written in Biblical Hebrew. And when we translate things, they translate a little differently. If you heard the phrase, it's raining cats and dogs, but you were trying to translate that into a language that didn't know what that meant, then you would translate in a way that, that would lose the meaning, but would be literal. And so the translation would come out like, there's actually cats and dogs falling from the sky. When we translate things, we lose things in translation. In fact, that's a whole phrase. Oh, it was lost in translation. Meaning that the meaning of it didn't come through when it went from its original language to its translated language. And so that's what we're looking at. English is the language into which it's been translated. Koine Greek for the New Testament is the language from which it came. And so we look at the words in bold from the original language. You go back to the Koine Greek, like we, the word in English, we, comes from the Greek word as men. And it means that we really perform the action to exist in the state of being. We are, we exist. Now I've put it in bold, and all the words in bold we'll look at a little more in depth. But I put it in bold because it's important to recognize who Paul is talking about here. He says we. He's talking about a group of people. It's not just him. It's not just another person that he's talking to or talking about. It's a group of people of which he's a part. He belongs to this group, and he's writing and talking to this group. Now, there's two groups of people in Scripture. Okay, there's two types of people. There's unbelievers and there's believers. 
all of which are sinners. The only difference between a believer and an unbeliever is that one has said, I believe that Jesus paid the penalty for my sins. The only difference as far as humanity is concerned. Now, there's results because of that that we have, like we are a workmanship. So the unbeliever is not a workmanship of God. He's a human. He's a part of God's creation and his created order, but he's in a fallen state. And so Paul here is talking to a group of believers. He says, us believers, we, the ones who have said, yes, Jesus is the Savior, who paid the penalty for my sins and all those who will believe, we are his workmanship. The word his is referring to God here. We are God's workmanship. The word workmanship comes from the Greek word poema, and it means a product that is made by someone. Some of you guys have seen TV shows or perhaps like with our game, our mini airplane game, you made a product. You made a, a, a workmanship. It's a word we don't usually use in this way in English because it's kind of older in its usage. But I gave you a piece of paper and you produced a product. And that product was the plane, the mini paper airplane that you were trying to see how far it could fly. Okay, that was your workmanship. And depending on how well you made the plane and how well you understood thermodynamics and aerodynamics and physics helped you do better in your flight and travel or worse. The more you understand all those things, the better obviously you can design it, the better you can obviously throw it, and the farther it can then travel. Okay, so God is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows what's real and what's potential. He knows what could happen and what will happen and everything that has happened, everything we've thought, everything we will think, everything we could think. It's a lot to know. Not even Google has that. Google's mission statement originally was to catalog and collect all of the information in the world and put it into their search engine. Everything. They wanted everything. Well, they may get everything that's real, but they won't get everything that's potential. They could, if they have enough time, gather up everything that this world knows. But you know what they don't know? That you spell God with a capital G. If you ever Google God with a capital G, they change it to lowercase God. Because they don't believe, as a corporation and company, in the God that exists. And they'll never know him because of that. Could they? Certainly. Will they? Only God knows. God knows what's actual and what's potential, what could be and what is real. Ephesians 2.10 says that we, believers, are the product of God. We are his workmanship. And it says that he created us in a specific location. And that location is Christ Jesus. The word created means to create something from nothing. He created us as a spiritual being, a spiritual being that didn't exist prior to our creation, but became in existence after our belief in Jesus Christ. Before you're saved, you're physical, your body and soul. After you believe and are saved, your body, soul, and human spirit. You're a new entire species, a new creature. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. We are his workmanship. So we're the product that he produced, and he created us from nothing as a spiritual being in a location. And the Greek word for in is en. It's very similar. looks like this. And it's pronounced E-H-N. And identifies a location that has a well-defined boundary. And that boundary contains whatever is within it. And so we'll put a dot. That dot is in the boundary. Okay, now what is the dot representing in this passage? 
Well, the workmanship of God. Okay, so the dot is the workmanship. God's product, what God made. Now, what did he make? He made believers as a spiritual being, and he made us in a specific location. What location? Well, it says he made us, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So the circle here is Christ Jesus. Within Jesus Christ, he made us a new creature, spiritual beings that exist and live and function in the boundaries, in the location of Christ Jesus. Now, how does that work? Well, the word Christ in bold is Christu, Christo, and it means anointed sacrifice. It's used with the same form of grammar as Jesus, Yesu, who is Jesus of Nazareth. And what the Greek grammar tells us is that Christ and Jesus are one and the same. They're the same thing with the two different titles here. There's actually another title for Jesus, another title for Christ, specifically Lord. And so you can have Christ Jesus Lord or Lord Christ Jesus, all three referring to the same exact being. Now as Jesus and Christ, both the same being, are being in focus here, what God is saying in Ephesians 2.10 is that within the location of the anointed sacrifice, the one who died to pay the penalty for our sins, who paid our debt for our sins for us, within that boundary, he created us as new creatures. He made us. What it's talking about with Jesus is that within the boundaries of Jesus himself, Jesus of Nazareth, the man that lived and breathed and died as the Christ, that within that boundary, he created us as new creatures. It is by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that God has the ability to make all those who believe new creatures. Nowhere else, there's no other way, there's no other location in which God can make believers new creatures because God has this other attribute of righteousness. And his righteousness says that things have to be in their proper place. And when he looked at the problem of sin in man, he said, I know how to fix this, right? God knows all things. He knew man was going to sin. He knew man could sin before Adam and Eve even fell in the Garden of Eden. And so he said, this is the only way that I can create a place for me to make believers new creatures. And he says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. There is no other way. You can't, you can't put a circle and a dot and say, like, Todd, okay? I can't save you. Even if I was willing to die on the cross for your sins, I was not the anointed sacrifice. I would just be a sacrifice, a meaningless one at that. Because the idea of an anointed sacrifice means that God made him for that purpose. God did not make me for the purpose of dying for your sins. It's a good thing, because I'm a sinner too. And a sinner can't die for the sins of others and satisfy God's justice. Had to be a righteous man. And Jesus of Nazareth was that. You can put any person here, anyone that's ever been born in this world from a father and a mother, and they will not be able to pay the penalty for your sins, because they themselves are sinners. 
The only way is through Christ Jesus. And God in his omniscience, in his power, his complete and total power, his omnipotence, it's called, and in his love said, I will make a way for those who say yes to believe in Jesus Christ to be made new creatures. And that place is in Christ. The way he does that is through Christ being the anointed sacrifice. Had to be a man, had to be God, had to be anointed to be the sacrifice. All three, Christ Jesus, God the Son. That's the only way that we could be the workmanship of God. And it says again in Ephesians 2.10 that that's what we are, that God creates in Christ Jesus. Nowhere else. Now there's a purpose in this. Because we're created in Christ Jesus, we have the opportunity, the potential to accomplish good works. The word good is very different than how we use it. Good for us is basically something that, that is pleasant or pleasing, that we like. Okay, And what's good to me may be not good to you. I like pineapple on my pizza. Many of you are like, yeah, that's good. Okay, Others of you are like, what are you thinking? That is not good. Okay? That's preference. That's what's pleasant to each of us individually. All right? But you know what the problem with that is? Is that depending upon who's talking, what's good is different. Because it's about what's pleasant to that person, what's, what produces a good result or a pleasurable result, pleasant result. But what God says is good is what is valuable inside. In fact, it's valuable inherently. That means within itself and by itself. That inside of itself, it has its own value. And there's a reason. It's valuable inherently because it was produced or made by a quality process. I've told you guys in the past about my Folkleys, my fake Oakley sunglasses. And that on a missions trip to Ensenada, Mexico, I would go down to the market place and I would buy fake Oakley sunglasses. They looked just like the real deal, except they were terribly made. And you had to buy a couple pairs of them because they would break quickly. And so I called them Folkleys, as well as the group that I was with, Fake Oakleys. You get it now? Folkleys. All right? You can spend over $100 easily on a pair of Oakleys. My dad had given to him a $300 pair of Oakley sunglasses. $300 for a pair of sunglasses. Now, why is that Oakley sunglass worth $300, but the ones I got in Mexico, down in Sonata, not worth that much? Because the process that produced them was completely different. I was happy to buy the cheap ones. Even if I had to buy four of them, I could still buy them for like $15. It was awesome. I could break three and still have one left over. It was great. But were they as good as the real deal? No. Why? Because they weren't made the same way. They weren't made from the same materials. They weren't made from the same process. This is what God defines as good. In the New, New Testament, he says, that things that are good are agathos. They have a natural, inherent value that's given to them because of the process that made them. And the description of the, that which is good here is on works. The, pr- 
products you produce from yourself that are made from you. And so we translate this as products. The products you produce from within you. The things your actions produce. The things your thoughts, your beliefs produce. Are they inherently valuable because they're produced by a quality process? Or are they inherently worthless because they're produced by a counterfeit process? They may look good, but they're not good. Well, it depends on what you're going to let define to be good in your life. Every one of us has to answer the question of, does God really know what's best? We have to actually answer that question for ourselves. I can tell you he does. I can tell you examples in my life where I've chosen what he said and gotten what was best for me, even though it would not have been probably what I would have chosen by myself. But that's not going to do it for you guys. That may help you. That may motivate you and encourage you. But each and every one of you has to choose for yourself whether God of the universe knows what's best. Does a God who knows all things know what's best? Does a God who loves you and will sacrifice what he has in mind at the volition of you, your free will to choose, to accept or reject it, will he pursue what's best for you regardless of the response you give? The Bible says that he sent his son to die on the cross even for those who would not believe. Knowing that people would reject that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus still died for those people. It's doing them no good. If I say, here's a million dollars, all you got to do is take it, and you didn't take it, would that million dollars do any good for you? No. It's for you, but you didn't take hold of it. Jesus died for everyone, but not everyone takes hold of it because not everyone depends on him being who he said he was. And so he already died for their sins. They could have salvation, but they don't take hold of it by depending upon him. God created those who do believe as a workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works, to produce products in their actions and behavior and thought that are inherently valuable because they're spiritually made through the process that God designed them to be made by. And those works that God created us in Christ Jesus to accomplish or for It says that God prepared those beforehand. And the word prepared beforehand, both words come from the same word, means to make ready in advance. God has prepared things that are inherently valuable for you to accomplish already. Does that mean you'll accomplish them? No. How do we know that? Well, It says that he made those things ready in advance so that, and this is for the purpose that, we would walk in them. And this word would here is incredibly informative. The Koine Greek means that we would have the potential, the capability to walk in them. See, he made them, he prepared them in advance for us for the purpose that we would have the potential to walk in them, to carry them out in our life. The word walk in the New Testament is from the Greek word peripateo, and it means to move along the course of your life. And so when it's using the word walk, it's not talking about physically walking down the street. It's talking about producing things in your life. The actions that you produce, the behavior you carry and conduct you carry yourself with, 
And it says that God has made ready in advance good works for the purpose that we could walk in them or we would have the potential. Meaning that if he doesn't create these good works so that we can accomplish them, that we don't have the shot to do it. Why? It's because they have to be made from a process that's greater than a process we can produce on our own. These works that God's prepared for beforehand for us to accomplish, we don't do the work to accomplish them. All we do is trust in what he says, and that accomplishes the work he's told us to do. So many times, I get the question from people, what is God's will for me? How do I do what he wants? How do I know what he wants me to do? It's a great question. And the problem with that question is that we are so much focused on learning from what we can see, what we can hear, what we can taste or smell, and what we can touch from our senses. And we're so used to trusting our senses to tell us what to do that we can't be still enough to recognize that God is God and when He wants us to do something, if we're willing to listen to what He has to say, that He will tell us. And we're not willing to recognize that He's told us in His Word how to live so that we're in the place where He is able to communicate to us what to do in those moments that He's set beforehand for us. The way that we live as new creatures in Christ is by faith by dependence upon Him, not by running around and trying to do all these things. That's works. Works isn't good for salvation. It doesn't qualify for salvation. doesn't qualify for accomplishing the things that God's already made for you. He's already produced the work that is good. All you have to do is trust Him and depend upon Him, respond to what He says in His Word, and your walk with Him, and those works are accomplished because you depend upon Him. Now, He created us as a product, a, a workmanship of his own in Christ Jesus so that we'd have the potential to carry out those things. Whether we do or do not carry out those works comes down to whether we do or do not depend upon him moment by moment. You in your life, and you'll start learning this, if you haven't already, you depend upon something every second of this day. You depend upon thought. You depend upon past information. You depend upon these little protection mechanisms you set up in your own mind. Have fun at soccer. We'll miss you. Good to have you with us, Jordan. We depend upon these things all the time. When something goes the way we don't like or when we're afraid something's going to be something we don't want it to be, we try to avoid it or go around it or not deal with it. But these things, they don't accomplish what we expect them to accomplish. And that's us trying to do something on our own when God says, all you got to do is depend upon me and follow me. He's made these works for us already. He's made them ready in advance, and he says, hey, trust me, follow me. And when we depend upon him, that's when these works get accomplished. It's not by anything that we can do on our own. It's by depending upon what He has made for us already to accomplish. We don't all accomplish the same things because He has made it specific for each of us. What God wants me to do and has prepared beforehand for me to do by operating in faith towards Him and what He's prepared beforehand for either, any of you guys to do, it's different. Because He has a different plan for your life than He has for my life. And the only way we can carry that out is to walk by faith, not by sight. Now in 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're talking about this new creature, right? This workmanship 
of God, the one that he produced. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, where is the workmanship that God made? In Christ. It's a location. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. If anyone is in Christ. This word here, translated as if, means since. Therefore, since a person exists in Christ. He's talking again to believers. He says, therefore, since the believer is in Christ. Again, the word in here, identifying that dot within the circle. That there's a location in which the believer exists. Same place that the works were made beforehand for us to carry out by faith. If anyone is in Christ, if he's in that anointed sacrifice, if that anointed sacrifice surrounds you, will you ever have to worry about salvation again? If God, in order to judge you for your sins, has to go through the one that died for you, are you ever in jeopardy of being judged for your sins? Some of you guys maybe have seen a movie or a TV show, or maybe you've done this yourself, where like there's been someone at school that's been angry at you or your friend, and you've stepped in front and said, you want sin, you got to go through me. Right? You've probably seen or heard that, that concept. See, that's Christ for us. Now, God's not antagonistic. I mean, he's, he's not trying to attack you in any way, shape, or form. Once you accept Christ as your Savior, you are his child. You're his spiritual offspring. He has plans for you that he allows you to choose whether or not you're going to follow, but it's still what's best for you. He has things for you to accomplish, those works he prepared beforehand, that will be the most fulfilling thing you've ever done. Whether you do it or not, it's up to you to depend upon him or not. But you are in Christ. So everywhere and everything that you do as this new creature is surrounded by the sacrifice that died on the cross for your sins. It protects you from judgment. It preserves you. Christ has done that for you. So if anyone is in Christ, within the boundaries of Christ, he is a new creature. This word new, you can imagine what this means. It means absolutely new. Not something that's been seen before. A new creature. Not old and remodeled. You're entirely new. And one of the things that we know from Scripture is that the unbeliever is body and soul only, but that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you become body, soul, and spirit. All three in one, or over here it's two in one. Now this creature here is new completely from this one. Entirely different. In fact, this verse tells us that what was old in that creature has been moved away. It's been passed away. And it says, behold, the new things have come. The new creature is something that's completely new. When you accept Christ to be your Savior, you are no longer who you used to be. You are completely different in your identity. Does that mean that you'll behave the same way? It could. Because what you do doesn't define who you are according to Scripture. God defines who you are. He says, you are a new creature. I've made you completely new. Now then, do those things that I prepared beforehand for you to carry out. Those good works. 
So you can be a completely new creature and still do the things you used to do. If you, as the new creature, choose not to let God show you those good works, teach you how to, use those, how to walk in those good works and carry those things out. If you, as a new creature, go and try to figure things out on your own, just like you used to do as an old creature, using your senses to get information about this world, then you'll still do the same thing. And here's the reality. What we do is a result of what we believe. What we believe is based upon what we depend upon, about what we learn and think. And every statement that you hear, you have to evaluate. Maybe you hear too many statements. You're like, I'm done. I've evaluated a lot of statements. I'm tired now. Okay? So you shut it down. That's you stop listening. That's what we call that. Maybe you listen, but you don't understand. And so you're trying to figure it out, and so you miss the other things coming up. Or you give up because you just don't understand what's being said or whatever. Maybe you listen, you understand, you go, this is great. Maybe you listen, you understand, you go like, this is stupid. All of that can happen in any of our heads at any moment. Regardless of how great whatever it is that we're being told could be in our lives. Our willingness and ability to listen will impact what we actually depend upon to be true in our lives. I can tell you God knows what be- what's best for you. And you can hear that and go, yeah, he probably does. Or, no, he doesn't. But whatever you choose to do with that statement will determine what you believe. And whatever you believe will change how you act. But regardless of whether you act out differently and behave differently or not, God says if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're an entirely new creature. An entirely new creation is more literal. Remember, we, w- we looked at verse 10 of Ephesians. It says that you were created, right? When you create something, you have a creation. Okay, and 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about this creation. The one who God created in Christ is a new creation. We're his workmanship. We're his handiwork. He made us. Does God make bad things? No. God only makes things that are complete and perfect and that have a design and are made so that they can carry out their goal, their objective. And when he created man, he said that we would have free will so that that we could then carry out our objective to glorify him. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature, a new creation. Entirely different, never before seen being. A new creation. Each one of us is unique in our soul. So it separates us out as people. But we're also unique in the spirit. We're also unique as a new creation of God. So the old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Now what Paul is trying to get at here, and what he's identifying when he says, Behold, this is a command, by the way. It's the imperative mood. Behold, take a look. It's the Greek word, edu, and it means to look and pay attention to this. Behold. Okay, we usually say, like, check this out. <laughs> All right? Imagine standing on top of, like, a mountain. The sun's going down, and it's a beautiful sunset, and you're like, behold. <laughs> Your friends would be like, what you doing? <laughs> but if you're like, hey, check it out, they're like, whoa. Right? This is Paul saying, check it out. He's saying, behold. Pay attention to this. The old things are gone away. And pay attention to this. The new has arrived. The new has come. And this word come 
means to come into existence. through a transition from one state to another. To come into existence through a transition from one state to another. Remember we said that the unbeliever is body and soul, two in one, and the believer is body, soul, and spirit. There's a transition that takes place to get the believer into a different state than the one he was in before. And so we've got what's called the old man and the new man in Scripture. And there's a transition that takes place between the old and the new. And the old things that characterize you before you accepted Christ as your Savior and the new things that identify who you are now that you have accepted Him as your Savior there was a transition that got you from old to new. So you're a completely different being, a new creation. And the old things went away. All those things that define who you are were as, an old, as the old creature went away. But those things that define who you are now, they have come into existence through a process of transition that God caused when you accepted His Son as your Savior. The word pass away means to leave. It means that they went along the wayside and fell away. They left. When you look at a caterpillar and it goes into the cocoon, right? And out, out of the cocoon, what does it become? Cute little butterfly. Right? Have you guys seen a bug's life? Right? You had that huge caterpillar. It was one of my favorite characters, along with the two pill bugs. I forgot what they're called, but they're circus bugs. They're awesome. Yeah. You fad. No, you fad. No, you fad. Okay, we digress. We're, going, we're coming back here. All right, we got this ca caterpillar in a bug's life, right? And it goes into a cocoon, and it comes out, and it's like, I'm a cute little butterfly, right? It, it transitioned from a, this caterpillar to a butterfly. What did it leave behind? The cocoon. Do you know how the caterpillar makes its cocoon? Does it like a bird gather up these sticks and stuff and make a little hollow place to go into? No, it's part of its body. It's creepy, right? This cocoon is produced from its body and it swallows it up like a, like a sleeping bag. Could you imagine if you're like going camping? You get in your tent and you're like, oh, I'm going to go sleep now. And all of a sudden this cocoon, this sleeping bag starts coming from your feet and just <laughs> swallows you up. And that's your sleeping bag. That would not be awesome. I don't want my feet making myself into a sleeping bag, okay? Okay, but when he leaves that cocoon, he leaves behind the caterpillar that he was, and he's completely characterized as a different being. He's a butterfly. We don't go around seeing this flying, beautiful butterfly, like a monarch butterfly, and go, wow, check out the caterpillar. <laughs> no, we don't. We're, we're like walking on the sidewalk, and we're like, squish, what was that? I think it was a caterpillar. And then we don't go, oh, I think it was a butterfly that, w w that wasn't flying. no. It's completely different, right? No one calls a butterfly a caterpillar. In fact, when we talk about a caterpillar in a cocoon, we say it's going to become, it's going to come into existence, into a new state through transitioning from its old state, a butterfly. Paul says, pay attention. Behold, take a look at this. He commands us to take a look at this. 
And he says, what was old has, in a point in time in the past, moved away. It's left us. But it says here that the new things, those things which describe the new creation in Christ, that that new creation and the things that describe it have come into existence through a transition that took place. Now check this out. I've got one last thing for you here. Okay? And this is important. You're going to want to know this at some point. This word perfect, now this word come here, is a perfect tense verb in Koine Greek. Woohoo! Right? Cute little perfect tense verb. No, it's, it's a perfect tense verb. This means that the action is completed. It's a completed action. Okay, so the transition is complete. This new creation is here. It exists now. Differently entirely from the old creation it was. It's a complete action, and its new existence it has a perfect tense, which says that the results of that action continue on. What the Bible is saying here is that you are once and for all and forever a new creature because God has made you a new creature in Christ. He transitioned you from the old to a new creature. That transition is over you exist now as a new creature, and that existence continues on. It doesn't go back, just like the butterfly doesn't go back into the cocoon and then goes back into the form of a caterpillar. It doesn't ever change. It stays there because he creates that which is perfect and complete when he makes something. We, as believers in Christ, if we have accepted the reality that God in his grace sent us a way to pay for the penalty for our sins, and by depending upon Jesus of Nazareth to be that Messiah, have accepted that to be true in our life, and de depended upon that, then we are a new creature, once and for all, forever. And that's what Paul says here. It's what God says. Now he's telling this to Corinthians, to the Corinthians because he's reminding them that who they are is not based upon what they do. What they do shows what they believe. But what they believe does not define who they are. It just defines what they're depending upon to be true in their life. God has made you, if you've accepted Christ as Savior, as a new creature. You are His workmanship, His handiwork. You're perfect, you're complete. Now, as His child, as that perfect product that He's made, he says, trust me, follow me, and we will walk out those good things that I've prepared beforehand for you to accomplish. And we do that by faith, not by figuring it out on our own. Just like we trusted God for salvation, we trust him to show us and lead us step by step. The more we study his word, the more we understand it. The more we stop following our own will, our own ideas, our own objectives, the more we're willing and able to listen to his. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're a new creation in, in Christ Jesus. He's the sacrifice that paid the penalty for your sins. And you are able through Him to carry out who you are in your new identity by walking in faith, not by trying to sort things out on your own. God has done all of this in His grace. We take hold of it by faith.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and for the handiwork that's in every single thing that you've created. Give us an understanding of the difference between our identity as a new creature and the actions that we do that are sinful or wrong being based on what we believe. May we choose to allow you to guide us and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen.